500 vehicles to sell, 500 ways to save. One month only at Build Penny Toyota during Mega Memorial Month. Now through May 31st. That means mega deals on your favorite Toyota models from Alabama's number one volume Toyota dealer. And don't forget, every new vehicle comes with our 10-year unlimited warranty. Plus, enjoy the rest of our awesome Penny perks. Visit BuildPennyToyota.com during Mega Memorial Month. Number one based on 2018 total new Toyota retail sales in Alabama for Southeast Toyota distributors. Warranty valid through 10th year of ownership on new vehicles only. See dealer for details. Shut up and sit down. things I learned today. I can make a frappuccino in 36 seconds. I know this. I just did it. Now i got to find a straw. Also in the news, Robert Downey Jr. joins Twitter and gains 500,000 followers in about five hours. Who knew? Twitter is now much, much pretty, um, prettier than it used to be. <clears throat> I wanted to start out tonight with a sick wreck. I read a story in the Avengers Captain America Iron Man fandom called Take Two. It's by Word Splat. I wrecked it on Slash World. You can look it up over there. You can go to Slash World and then put search in the search box, Take Two. It's Steve and Tony. It's an amnesia fic, which I, I kind of actually try to avoid amnesia fic as a rule, but it's really great. You should totally read it. It's um, probably one of my favorite fics in the fandom so far. It's only about 24,000 words, but the character work on um, Captain America is awesome. Awesome. I saw Captain America in the theater. I won't have any spoilers, but it was great. Um, very political action thriller kind of thing. I, I really enjoyed it. It was great. And so I made myself a Frappuccino. I have a thing full of Diet Coke. And... I neglected somehow in the last 30 minutes to not go pee. So now i got to pee, and it's terrible. We'll see how long that lasts. You guys might end up having a little bit of break. You know, we'll take a pee break for everybody. And um, if I was actually on the phone with Lady Holder, I would totally go to the bathroom because I do it all the time. Are you one of those people who pees while you're on the phone? I am. I don't even feel bad about No, No regrets. None. Not a... Not a single one. I'm also of the impression that if you call me and whatever I'm doing, you just got to put up with it. You just, you just really got to put up with it. So, tonight we're talking about original characters and creating character profiles for your fiction. So, what you need to know or what I learned, because, you know, the thing is is that every writer is different, and so you have to approach any writing task within your craft from your own perspective. And you can buy books on plot, and you can buy books on scene construction, 
And you can even buy books on developing characters. But what works for one author might not work for you. And what works for me will or will not work for you based on your own process. So what you have to do as a writer is take all these things that you see and you read and all these different processes that everybody else does and make them work for you. You take the parts that you like. You ignore the parts that don't work for you, that don't encourage your process, that don't enhance your process. So when you go into creating an original character, um, <laughs> Melissa in the chat says, your accent is less noticeable to me now. You've just been infected, sweetheart. That's what that is. You See, here, let me help you out. <clears throat> Did you ever watch The Closer? I'm sure some of you did. Let me show you how terrible my accent can be. Watch. Hold on. Hold on. Thank you. Thank you so much. Okay. So <clears throat> that's my favorite part of the closure. The first time she says it, I laugh my ass off. And you know what? Let's use um, Kira Sedgwick on the closer as an example of a character who – it's a very strong character. The, the entire series is built around her. You, when you first meet Brenda Lee Johnson, she is southern. She looks soft. She looks female. You, you're not really certain of her strength as an investigator, as a cop. But by the end of that episode, she's, she's won you over, and, and you love her. And what's really interesting about that is if you watch Major Crimes, when we're first introduced to the character of Sharon Raider, Sharon Raider, she is an antagonist for Brenda. And I didn't like her. I really didn't like her. And I had that whole issue with Sharon um, coming into the last two or three seasons of The Closer, and we were taught, we were shaped into not liking her as a character. And what happened is, is when Sharon gets her own show for major crimes, we are now, our once antagonist is now our heroine in um, in major crimes. She's the center of major crimes, and you have to... You have to um, shift your point of view on her. And now you're looking at her and you're thinking, oh, my God, Brenda was kind of an asshole to her. Because because you start to like her. And then by the end of the first season, you're, you're all up in Sharon's life. And if you go back and you watch The Closer, and, and I've had this experience where I really got invested in Sharon's character. And by the end of season two of Major Crimes, I'm supremely invested in Sharon's character. And it made me dislike Brenda's character. <laughs> Going back to watch The Closer, I was like, oh, my God, Brenda, stop being so mean to Sharon. You know, so because I got really invested. And that's the part, that's what makes a character amazing when you can invest your your reader or your audience in the character in such a way that they not only empathize with that character they start to root for that character and they start to believe that character is important and if you do that and you do that correctly you create um 
story around a character, and that's where you get the phrase character-driven. While we're on that subject, let me tell you, I hate the stigma attached to the words plot-driven. They make plot out to be a dirty word. I've got news for you. If it qualifies as a book and it's fiction, it's got some kind of plot. It might be a bad plot or a good plot, but it's got one. The difference between character-driven and plot-driven is pretty simple to me. This is, this is how I keep it separate in my head. A character-driven story driven by the motivations, the internal motivations of the character. And it is the character pushes the story throughout the entire thing from beginning to end. In a plot-driven situation, your character is directly impacted by external plot motivations. Like, an excellent example of plot-driven fiction will be disaster fix, because they have this huge external conflict um, that nobody has control over, and this disaster shapes and destroys and remakes people across the board throughout the thick, if it's done right. Um, there's that. Uh, anyway, let's talk about characters and how to develop them. The first thing you need to do when it comes to character development is that you need to understand the human condition. You, need, you cannot make believable, made-up people if you don't understand real people, if you don't take stock of their body language and their facial expressions when they speak and the rhythm of their voice, um, speech patterns and stuff like that. You, you learn a lot like that. And you can push these details into your fiction in a way that creates a three-dimensional person. You can insinuate someone has an accent without mangling their dialogue to the point where it's not readable. Am I the only one that had a hard time reading Hagrid's dialogue in the books in Harry Potter? Because I don't know who was actually worse, Hagrid or Floor. I would be like, I'm not, that's not English. I don't even know what that is. That's, that, that's worse than the house elf. There are ways that you can do that without mangling your dialogue to the point where it's not readable. You, the best, you know what, and, and when I write Floor in, in my fanfic, I don't put the Z's in. I think that's stupid. I don't know. You know she has a French accent. Just imagine it. And if you do it correctly, if you, wrap your character up in all these details, you don't have to resort to that kind of, those kinds of dialogue tricks. Either, I think they're kind of lazy. You know, you can, if you can build a character's voice in your reader's head without resorting to mangling their dialogue, um, then you've done a... Uh, You've done a great service to your craft and to your book. Uh, people speak differently, and it's not just accents. It's rhythms. It's words they use over and over again. Even someone with a very large vocabulary will often use the same 
don't know, thousand words. They don't really vary, you know. So you pick out a way for your character to sound. You pick out where they're from. You pick out, you decide what they look like, what they want to do when they grow up, what they did grow up to do, if they've ever been in love, if they've ever had their heart broken, did their last boyfriend cheat on them, did their last girlfriend leave them, or did he dump her? Or you Make these decisions as you go into creating a character. And I, I included a character profile link on the, um, the announcement for the radio show. That isn't the one that I use. The one that I use, I've kind of mangled from, like, a bunch of them, and I created my own, and I pushed stuff in. And it's, it's a very personal document. And once you start creating your own characters and you're doing this and you really invest yourself in, in creating an, an original character that has depth, um, you, you will find that your document becomes very personal because you will remove things and add things that are important to you as far as what you need to know about your character that your readers might not ever know. Now, when it comes to fan fiction, a lot of your work is already done for you unless you want to kind of like go off the deep end and say, fuck canon and forget everything ever happened in canon and let's do this instead. <clears throat> or you do a fundamental change to their existence. And this is in one situation where I want to be really serious. And I said it before, like I got in trouble for it, you know. I'm going to say it. Your sexuality is fundamental to your character. It is fundamental. The kind of sex you do have or don't have or wish you could have or you want to have or you have had, every bit of it is fundamental to the character. So when you make a character who is straight in canon, gay, you have to make adjustments to their life story, to their thoughts, their desires, their wants, their public opinions, all of this changes slightly because we are a sum of our experiences. And for instance, if you take, say, John Shepard from Stargate and you make him gay, and you make him always gay, that puts a really ugly light on his canon marriage to Nancy. Did he do it to pass? Was she aware that she was marrying a gay man? Was he so deep in the closet he didn't know he was gay? I mean, he didn't know and he realized he was gay after he married her? Or did he marry her to further his career in the Air Force? Did he get caught when he was 16 in his bedroom with his best friend and his dad lost his mind? You know, so you don't actually... You have to think about these things when when you change something fundamental about a character. And it doesn't just have to be their sexuality. It could be anything. It could be their education, their job. If you take Rodney out of the sciences in Stargate and you put him in the military, that is a fundamental change to his personality that you have to address across the board. Seriously, across the board. Um, if you
it becomes a we aren't fixed, okay? And if we're not a fixed product in adulthood, then none of your characters are either. And the best thing you can do for your character is as they grow in your story and as they're exposed to situation after situation after situation and they gain experiences, this changes them. And if you can shape that change in a way that serves your story, then you're doing your job and, and, and you're doing it accurately. And so you have to think about everything when you're building a character, who they've had sex with, who they want to have sex with, who they hate, who they love, do they call their mom, do do they have a great relationship with their dad, or is it strained? Because all of these things come into play, because as I said before, we are a sum of our experiences. I do believe in nurture over nature in that respect. I, uh, I have a degree in a social science, say that, out there. I'm not going to say which social science. Um, I, so when you make a fundamental change to a character in fan fiction, you have to adjust. You have to adjust everything about them in a way that makes sense because if you don't, then you're just being lazy. You're just being lazy. Just completely and totally lazy. And that's fine if you want to do that. Be um, be lazy because fan fiction is a hobby. It can't be anything else because of the nature of fan fiction. It, it can't be a career. And you can do whatever the hell you want with your hobby. I mean, you can – I know. You know, the fact of the matter is I'm lazy with, with my fan fiction. I'm, I'm terribly lazy with it. I often, you know, just wing it. Say fuck that, and not even look shit up, and and oh, we'll just put Rodney doing this, and of course he can make his EPM, and not even fucking explain it because why? No reason. I just did fuck that. Um, you know. So and then you know, Harry Potter magic makes everything possible, and it's wonderful. It's great. So you can be lazy. You can be totally lazy in, in fan fiction, but if you want to make that leap to original fiction and you want to be published. You have to develop a process. It's got to be your process, not anybody else's. It has to be what works for you. And it, and it, will, and it will become personal. It will, it will become a personal process. Maybe, maybe not one you'll want to share with anybody. Nobody sees my story Bibles, if it's fan fiction or otherwise. Um, in fact, very often no one sees my first draft. Um, Rough Trade's a very... Um, Serious departure for me. You may have noticed that I haven't posted anything to Rough Trade in a couple of days. I'm stuck on a sex scene, if you can fucking believe that. It's unreal. I have 700 words of sex, mostly. Bad. It's bad sex. I don't even know. It's, it, it, it's not great. I don't even know what I'm going to do with it. I think I might put a little ding down at the bottom saying insert more sex here and just hit some stars and just go on. Hit the next fucking thing. Because I'm just stuck. And I never get stuck writing sex. That's just ridiculous. So, <clears throat> rough trade is the one situation where I post rough when, you know, even my betas don't actually see most of my rough, rough work. Uh, sometimes they do. Like, like if I'm having a problem, okay, read this and tell me what you think. But 
a lot of times by the time Lady Holder or Chris get a hold of, of something that I've written, I've read it through five or six times, changed 25,000 billion things. Um, I uh, I did have a migraine. Oh, my God. I, Priya? We discussed saying your name once before, and I totally messed it up. There's a girl in the chat room. I always fuck up her name. I'm sorry. I did have a migraine earlier in the week, and it was pretty bad. It lasted two days. I took like four migraine pills um, before it knocked a dent in it, and usually just one will do it. I don't know if it was stress from taxes or stress from life or stress from hormones or just, you know, buildup of intolerance, assholery. I don't know. I just I just had a two-day migraine, and I took four of Imitrex. Is that the right word, Imitrex? I believe so. Um, oh, that's right. I said I was going to call her Princess. It was like, I'm glad I couldn't say her name. So Princess, yes, I was sick. I, uh, But I'm, that's really no fucking excuse for the last two days because I haven't been sick then. So laziness and... Um, Original work, don't agree. Let's just put that out there. If you want to make the transition from a hobby writer who writes fan fiction to a professional writer who publishes, and I'm not actually encouraging you to do this, and I'll discuss that in a minute, uh, you have to create a process. And the first part of that process is character development. And building a character is not hard. It's not. You make decisions. You take your character profile, you copy it off the Internet, pop it into a Word document or whatever the hell you're using, you know, whatever word processing document thing you're using, thingy, Google, whatever the fuck. And then you pick out the parts you like, you delete the parts you don't like, add some stuff in there you want to put in there for just for your own reference later. You fill that bitch out. Go online, find you a picture of an actor you think is hot. Throw him in there too because that helps. It helps to have a face to your character. It makes it easier to to move him around in the scene if you know how he moves, which is why I tend to cast actors in my original fiction Um just for me privately, so because I know how they move and how they talk. And I could kind of push them into the character in a way that makes it easy for me to imagine scenes in, in full color in my head. You know, I need to have a whole thing going on. As a matter of fact, my migraine pills did cock-block me. There, there's a discussion in the chat room about that. Um, I'm just, I'm bleh. And it didn't help that I did what I did with the plotting and totally fucked up. I don't even know. Because that's an issue, too. You can go too far. You can ruin yourself. You can ruin a story for yourself. And there's no, everybody has a line. And sometimes I cross my line and I don't even know it. I don't even know I crossed my line. And you won't know you crossed your line until you can't actually write what you plotted. <coughs> so you you move through this process, and you create your character, and you learn about your character as you make these decisions. If he has brown hair, if he has blue eyes, or if he's 6'3", or 5'4", because actually, that's a big deal. When you're a man, and you're 5'4", versus 6'3", that's character building right there, because there is a big difference. 
I'm kind of a short person myself. I'm 5'3". Fuck y'all, y'all. Just for real. For real. I'm 5'3". Barefoot. I'm 5'3 when I'm barefoot. But I'm fierce because most of my shoes make me about 5'5". Five five. <laughs> so when you're short, it, it it does create a situation in your in your development as a person and um, and how you move around your environment. And so if you make your male character short, or than average, shorter than average, it's going to create um, situations that you can explore. If they're very tall and very good looking, of course, that's an entirely different situation. And, you know, honestly, if you're writing romance, that's what you're going to, that's what you're going to prefer because that's hot and we're all vain and kind of shallow. Um, <clears throat> so there's that. There are a lot of short minions I see. Azur is kind of that one fourth like a boss. Five four and one fourth. Really, sweetheart, one fourth. Okay. They're all sharing their heights and um and chat. <clears throat> yeah, I'm a little stuffy, and I'm not sure if that's allergies. I guess allergies could cause my two day migraine. I don't know. Um. So you build your character, and after you build your character, you need to put them in an environment. Whatever that environment is, you just got to establish it because then you develop your character further. Because if your character, say your character is an engineer, and he works on the International Space Station. That's an entirely different situation than an engineer who works at the Ford plant. Do you see what I mean? And your environment plays a huge role in how your character is shaped. And then your environment is actually a character within itself, especially if you're developing um, a situation where the environment will impact the character. So if you put your character in space, that's a whole new ball. Everything in space wants to kill you, including the thing you're riding in. Just put that out there. Everything in space wants to kill you. So that changes your character. Because if you've got an engineer who works, if you've got an electrical engineer who works at a car plant, that's a different situation than, say, an aeronautical engineer who works on the International Space Station. What's it say about these two characters? You have the one character who's very grounded. Literally, he's on the ground. He goes home every night. He might have a cat or a dog or a family or none of the above. Then you have the dude on the space station that kind of has some issues. Because I'm going to tell you right now, you got to be special to willingly strap yourself to a rocket and let somebody else throw you off the planet. That's a special kind of person. That isn't the person who works at the Ford plant. Okay? So deciding their environment is especially important in the creation of their character. Because where you put them down influences who they are. And it also influences the reader. Because if you say, okay, I have a story about a guy who works in a car plant, 
You say, okay, I have a story who has a guy, about a guy who works on the International Space Station, and you go, oh, really? What's that about? What's he doing up there? Is he going to die? Are there aliens? You know, because creating that curiosity from the get-go is really um, important. <clears throat> yes, of course, you can put a serial killer in your car plant. Whatever you want to do is fine. Just do it. Quote, Nike, everybody's going to die. That's our story that way. Line one, everyone's going to die. It's the universal truth. (laughs) My husband is an engineer of sorts, and he is terribly, terribly anal and terribly interesting and sometimes boring. He watched... um, the first season of Atlantis this week, and he watched. Uh, <clears throat> he's watching Sanctuary right now, and I hate that one. He watched uh, the Defiant one before, and the one about the quarantine, which was interesting. So you have your character, you've built him, you know where he comes from, you know if he loves his parents or hates his parents or grew up with step-parents or grew up adopted or was in foster care. Know these things about your character because they build. They build. And even if you never mention it in the story, you know it. And if he's real in your head and you can transfer that reality to paper, half your job is done. That's half your story right there, creating a fully realized three-dimensional character and placing them in an environment that is challenging and interesting to your reader because that curiosity is what makes your book viable for publication. If you can't grab your reader by the first thousand words, they're going to delete that sample off their Kindle and not buy your book. That's how it works these days. I download a sample off, you know, off Amazon or a sample off Barnes & Noble or they read the excerpt on whatever other website you might have it posted on. And if you don't grab them by the first thousand words, you're not going to get a sale. Moreover, if you don't grab the buying editor by the balls within the first 1,000 words, you're not getting a contract. So you need to bring your character onto the stage like a boss. He needs to come, boom, into the scene, into the middle of the action, start in the middle, just drag your reader into it by their hair and make them care about your character. Make them care about what's happening to your character and what's going to happen next to your character. And if you do that, like I said, half your battle is done and half your story is... is your story is going to write itself if you do that. We can talk about plot. You need to have a sequence of events that further the action and further your character's development. If your character does not grow, if you have a 500-page story and your character is the same person on page one as they are on page 500, 
you failed. You fail. F. Go home. Get the fuck out. You've wasted your time and written 500 words of nonsense. 500 billion words of nonsense. 500 pages of non... It's just... It's a waste of time. It's a waste of paper. It's a waste of computer processing power. Shame on you. Your character needs to grow. He needs to learn and experience and and move in his environment that you've created in a way that is dynamic and interesting. And if it's not, you're going to get a rejection. We can talk about grammar and issues and typos. You know, spell check your shit. (laughs) For real. Spell check your shit. Try to find your grammar errors. But nine times out of ten, if your craft is decent and you have a basic knowledge of novel construction and you don't fuck up your dialogue too much, you're going to get rejected for your bad plot before you will your bad grammar. Because you can, a copy editor, they can fix your your grammar. That's actually their job. Um, If you've used the wrong word here or there, they can fix that shit. If you don't know how to use a comma, they can fix that shit. If your hero is so awful that by page 50 of a 500-page novel, your reader wishes he would drop dead, (laughs) your copy editor can't fix that shit. So don't be dumb. Invest yourself in your character. If you invest yourself in your character, your reader will invest themselves in your work. Whether it is an editor or an agent or just this person on Amazon who downloaded your sample and like, oh, this looks great. Let me read. Oh, this sucks. I hate this guy. I wish rocks would fall and kill him. Delete. Done. You've lost the sale. You've lost the interest of somebody else. Um, <clears throat> when you say agent, do you mean Colson from the chat room? No. Actually, I mean literary agent. Yeah, that's the person that makes sure publishers don't fuck you over. You need one of those. You can sign with these little um, independent e-publishers online. They have really simple contracts. They're really easy to read. They're, they're pretty easy to get out of. If, you don't like, if, if you're not happy, most of them have a short period of time, like three to five years. And then there are even out clauses that you can um, get into that you can leave these companies. But if you sign with a big company like, I don't know, Bantam or Warner Brothers, don't sign without an agent. Because if you get a contract offer from one of these big publishers and you contact a couple agents in your in your field who handle the kind of work that you're doing and say, hey, I have an offer on the table from, and you insert big name publisher, they're going to go, yes, as a matter of fact, we would like to talk to you because you're a done deal. You're a sure thing. You've got money sitting on the table for them to take so they can protect you from predators. They can protect your rights as a writer. They can protect your pen name. 
urban, uh, true story turned urban legend. In the 80s, Harlequin had contracts where a lot of these authors didn't have agents, and they actually turned the rights to their own pen name over to Harlequin. And a bunch of writers had to sue Harlequin to get their own pen names back. And what happened was, is if a writer would stop writing for Harlequin, since Harlequin still owned the pen name, they would just pick up another writer and publish that writer under the pen name. So there could be like 30 books written under the same pen name, but written by five different authors. And these authors had no recourse. But Harlequin got sued for that shit. But stuff like that happens. So if you do get a spectacular offer from a big-name publisher, do get an agent. Um, just get an agent. Get a good agent. Um, do your investigations. Do your research. Um, look that shit up. Seriously, look that shit up. Don't... The thing is, is if someone offers you a book contract and you say, okay, I need time to um, review this with a lawyer... I need time to look for an agent. They're going to they're be fine with that. Don't be afraid to ask for those things. Don't be afraid to ask for that time because most publishers aren't going to be like, okay, you, know, you sign today or we're saying no. If they want you, they're going to be willing to meet your terms. And if they want you to sign immediately, like on the same day, and their contract is stupidly complicated, and most of it doesn't make any sense. Be careful. Be very careful. If they tell you you have to pay them, run. There is exactly one way that money flows in publishing. Let me rephrase that. There is one way money should legitimately flow in publishing. From the publisher to the author, from the agent to the author. Money should always come to you. Money doesn't come out of, no, you don't give money. Money comes to you. Whether it's $5 or $50 or $5,000, money comes to you. If it doesn't come to you, you're not being published. You're being vanity published. And if that's what you want, if you want to be vanity published, you go right ahead. But I'll tell you right now, you don't have to pay for somebody to do that anymore. You can do that on you can do that on Amazon for free. It's just saying you don't have to pay anybody to do that for you anymore. If, so okay, I kind of went off on a little tangent there. Sorry. When it comes to um, your character, you've built your profile. You've got your environment. Then you have to decide who else is going to be in the story with your character. And their motivations, are they going to be someone who is a push for your character or a pull? Um, for me, pulls or villains, they're people who pull you away from the situation you're supposed to do. They're, they, they make you hesitate. They make you move. They make you move in ways you don't want to move. Those are pulls. Pushes are people who encourage you to meet your destiny. Like, if just put it in context, if you're a Harry Potter fan, I would say Voldemort is a pull, Hermione is a push. Uh, in some situations, Dumbledore is a pull, and in other ways, he's a push. 
it, it just depends on how you view him. The murder of Harry's parents is a push. Peter Pettigrew is a pull. Though it's unintentional in many ways because of what happened to Sirius was outside of his control and outside of Harry's control. Sirius Black acts as a pull in the Harry Potter fandom because Harry had no choice but to react to the situation of Sirius. There was no action. It was just reaction. Over and over and over again, he reacted to situations involving Sirius. So Sirius was a pull, but not a villain, just someone who impacted Harry's life in a way that no one could control. Not Sirius, not Harry, not not Dumbledore. It was tragic in its own way. Uh, the Death Eaters are pulls. Snape is really interesting in Harry Potter in that Outwardly, he's a pull, and internally, he might wish he was a push, or tried to be a push, or he's a mixture of the two, because there's an ambiguity to his character um, based on J.K. Rowling's writing and not what you read between the lines, Um, because she wants you to believe that Severus died for love and that he was... Um, he had this pure kind of platonic love for Lily because they were never lovers. And let's not go there again. I'll be ranting, just ranting, ranting, ranting. The second most important character you develop in your story is not your hero's or heroine's love interest. It's your hero or heroine's antagonist. Because as great as your hero is, if your antagonist is not as if if your antagonist has to be as interesting someone's actually calling in on my phone in the middle of the night uh your character your your villain has to be interesting as your hero if he's not if he doesn't meet It's going to get really boring, you know, because when you look at, say, well, we can use Harry Potter as an example. We could also use um, the Avengers as a really good example, um, depending on which protagonist you choose. If, say, you pick Tony, um, he actually has a couple of antagonistic moments with Captain America. They're both very dynamic characters, and it creates a, a vision that's really interesting. They're... They're polar opposites, and yet, in many ways, they have a great deal in common when it comes to um, justice and and wanting to protect people and wanting to serve in a humanity in a way that is both uh, beneficial and and rewarding. Let's be honest that you know that because they have all this guilt for one reason or another what they did, and that has to be addressed. The biggest antagonist in the Avengers, of course, is Loki. And you have, if you push him between, if you push Loki and Thor, you know, you got a protagonist in Thor and an antagonist in Loki, they are equal and opposite, 
They're both very powerful. They're both demigod. Well, Thor's a demigod, and actually, Loki is a frost giant. Um, they uh, are both in their own way sort of immortal. It's a. Uh, That was my mom calling at 1041 at night. I have no idea what she could possibly want. I'm going to call her on my cell phone. That will be interesting. So, okay, we get Thor and we get Loki as antagonists. And they're very interesting and they're very dynamic and they're equal yet opposite. Then we have Barton, Hawkeye, who is both a protagonist and an antagonist in Avengers. He is someone that you know from the get-go has been brainwashed and overridden. And you have all this pity for him because you know he's trapped in his own mind and he can't do anything and he can't help himself. And you can't help him either, and no one, well, you don't think anybody can help him. You really don't through most of the movie. You think, oh, my God. I mean, I thought he was going to die, to be perfectly honest. I thought that if anybody died, it would be Barton. So I was really surprised when Coulson died. I'm sorry if that was a spoiler. Oh, my God. No. I'm not sorry. If I spoiled the Avengers for you, fuck you. I can't believe you haven't watched it yet. Just, Coulson dies. Briefly. Sort of. couple days. He got better. Shit. So Clint is both, and when he gets his cognitive, uh, when Natasha kicks him in the head and wakes him up to his to, to his issues, and he turns into a protagonist once more, and he's back in in, you know, in black and doing the Avengers thing, and they all come together, and they have to fight together after fighting each other, because they all did. I mean, they all fought each other in one way or another, verbally or, or whatever, um, physically in some cases. So they, they've they gone from this intense disagreement across the board to having to work together to save the world. And that creates a really dynamic situation for all those characters to be in. So... The point is, is that your antagonist has to be as interesting and as three-dimensional as your hero. If he's not, if he's boring, you're going to bore the shit out of your reader and you don't know how much of a plot. Your plot's going to fall to pieces. So as if Voldemort, look at Harry Potter and Voldemort. If Voldemort and Harry Potter <laughs> hadn't been equal, which is really terrible terrible because of the prophecy and all that. Anyway, if they hadn't been equal, then it would have been, okay, it would have been impossible to build seven books on their conflict. And they conflict from moment one of the books, of the first book, all the way to the end of the books. Um, there's that conflict that moves between Harry and Voldemort. And if Voldemort hadn't been as interesting and as three-dimensional as Harry, we might not have gotten seven books. I mean, it would have been really boring. We could have got seven books, but it wouldn't have been all that great. I'm calling my mother now. Let's see what she wants. 
probably not going to lecture because it's been six whole minutes since she called. The phone is ringing. She should be actually in bed because we have plans tomorrow, and she is terrible. Hello? Hello, Mother. No, because I'm actually on, um, I'm doing a video, an audio blog on the Internet. <laughs> so I'm actually on the air on the Internet radio. Uh, what's up? Yeah, I can do that. All the people who are listening to me on the internet radio say hi. <laughs> All the people on the internet radio who are listening to me say hi to you. <laughs> she said hello, and she's glad you guys are enjoying yourselves. Because she just automatically assumes I'm so fucking entertaining that you guys are enjoying me. Yeah, that's my mom. Um, anyway, I can't <laughs> I can't talk to you long, but they can't hear you. They can just hear me. Because um, uh, I'm on my cell phone with you, and I'm on my real phone with them. So, anyways, but uh, I'll see you tomorrow at 11. We can do that thing, and we can actually print it at the UPS store if we do it soon enough, because they close at like five. Or I can bring it home and print it, and then on Monday you can buy me breakfast before your doctor's appointment. Okay. Bye. Hey, Senna. Oh no. Your tire's all flat and junk. Let me get my sailor out and call you a wrecker. Oh. I got no phone because I'm a pothole. <laughs> my nephew, Padawan, can do that whole con- that whole commercial and sound just like her. It is ridiculous. Anyways, <clears throat> thank you. Thank you so much. So, my mom said hi, and she assumed that you guys were really fucking entertained by me. And that cracks me up. That cracks me up that she assumed that you guys were having a good time. Um, I just hope that tomorrow she doesn't demand to listen to my radio show. Because I'm pretty sure I've said things on this radio show that my mom doesn't need to hear. I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm like 100% sure. That. Maybe in the word about sex. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Okay, so we're, I was talking about antagonists. And <clears throat> so when you build your hero and you build your hero's love interest, you have to keep in mind that not only are your characters going to interact with their environment, they're going to interact with each other. And they have to have a foundation on which they can interact. So say so you have that dude on the International Space Station. Dudes, he's not going to have a whole lot in common with, say, a romance writer from New Hampshire or wherever. So <laughs> you you want to put characters together that are going to um, connect uh, emotionally and intellectually in a variety of ways that, that will be entertaining. So if you're putting... 
a couple of people on the space station. You know what? I'm going to write this for my next nano. Two guys on the space station. It'll be porn. It'll be so much porn. So they had to have something in common. Speaking of not porn, but space movies, one of my favorite space movies is um, Red Planet with Val Kilmer and Carrie. Oh, I forget her last name. Fucking love that movie. Fucking love it. I hate Mission to Mars, and I hate it because he dies. That dude dies, and it's so terrible. Um, it's just, it, it's heartbreaking. My favorite asteroid movie, because, you know, there were two. Um, there was Armageddon, and then there was that other one, whatever the fuck that was. Uh, there was the one with Bruce Willis, and then there was the one with Morgan Freeman. I liked the one with Bruce Willis. It was Deep Impact was Morgan Freeman, and Armageddon was... Bruce Willis, and I love Armageddon. I cry the last ten minutes every single time I watch it. You're right, Elijah Wood was in Deep Impact, and so was that girl who played Joan of Arc. Uh, I don't know where her name was. Anyway, so, but I prefer Armageddon. I prefer Red Planet to Mission to Mars. You know, a lot of times they'll put out movies with the same themes, and you know you have to pick between them. And Armageddon was definitely my choice. Um, the character development and that was pretty interesting because you go from Ben Affleck's character being like the last man Bruce Willis's daughter should be dating to the man she marries by the end of the story, and you know her dad sacrifices himself. To to save the planet, and he takes her boyfriend's place. He sends um, her man home to take his place. It's really interesting, because Bruce Willis's character um, takes the boyfriend's place on the planet, or on the asteroid, to blow up the nuclear weapon. And um, Ben Affleck's character goes back to Earth, and he marries the daughter, and takes, he, you know, takes the place as protector, provider, you know. So it's a, it's an interesting dynamic when you think about it that way. Because characters, when they come together in a story, they have to tell a story. And while we're on the subject of telling a story versus showing a story, let me tell you something. The worst thing you can do to your reader is tell them a story. It's the worst thing you can do. Don't tell your reader what happens. Show your reader what happens. Don't dump a bunch of history in the middle of your story, right at the beginning of your story. It's not... It's boring. It's... It, because it's not, you know, the thing is, is it's, the problem is, is we're all basically ruined for life in class, in, a, in high school, because we're forced to read all these stories where they do exactly that. Grapes of Wrath comes to mind. Tell Two Cities. It's, it's terrible. Here's the thing about exposition, as Marcus pointed out in the chat room. It can be effective 
in small doses. It is not effective if your reader goes to sleep. I had somebody once tell me, you know what I hate? Stories that have a whole bunch of blocks of text and very little dialogue. So sometimes I skip all that text and just read the dialogue. So if you've fallen into that exposition trap, you've created a situation where your reader might skip all the shit you wrote to the first piece of dialogue. Whether it's one page or ten pages, all that shit you wrote, skipped, done, by. Of course, this, this, this kind of reader is also that asshole reader who will read the last chapter of your book first to see how it ends. I hate those people. If you're one of those people, shame on you. Don't do that. It's terrible. It's terrible. Oh, my God, how can you read the end of a book first? It's, it's terrible. Terrible, terrible, Melissa. Melissa just confessed to it. She just confessed to reading the end of a book first. Shame on you. Shame. Shame, shame. Smack your own hand. Anyways. Anyways. So when you introduce your character, that's why... Oh, Melissa was not confessing to that. She was confessing to something else. Okay, I forgive you, Melissa. Whatever you confess to is perfectly okay as long as you weren't. Um, oh, she's one of those people who skips the exposition. Okay, see, that's the thing, because it gets boring, right? It gets totally boring. If you're reading 15, 20 pages of exposition, you're being told what happened instead of being shown what happened, it's boring as fuck. Which is a terrible phrase, because I've rarely ever had a boring fuck. I mean, let's be honest. Because when you can attach the word fuck to an experience... More often than not, it was a pretty good time. I mean, you can say, I had sex with this person. That's kind of ambiguous. But if you say, I fucked that person, that says something else. That's a little different. That's like a, you like that? Yeah, it's like that. But if you use the word sex or I slept with, that's that's like basically saying um, there was some, we had intercourse. Yeah, that's what that means. Which is <laughs> like, and that's, and that's what you say. That's like that's the best thing you can say about it. There was there, um, there was intercourse. Um, yeah. So yeah. So if you're using the word fuck, you probably had a good time and it wasn't boring at all. So I don't know why that phrase "boring as fuck" how, um, how that came to be. It doesn't make any sense to me personally, but who knows? I have a new computer, and the damn thing keeps reminding me to do Windows updates. I hate Windows updates. Right. Characters. So, when you start your story, you push your character into a situation, into an environment, and the best way to grab your reader by the hair and drag them into your story is to start in the middle of a situation. So your reader is immediately invested in what's happening. Say your plot says your hero's going to get up in the morning, he's going to go to work, and then at lunchtime he's going to go to the bank instead of and then go to lunch, right? That's your plot. That, um, th- um, those are the four scenes you're going to have in your chapter. If I was editing your chapter, I would take out the first two scenes and throw them away. 
And then I would start your character, I would put your hero as he's walking into the bank. Because the, there's going to be a bank robbery. That's why. Yeah, and that's interesting. That's exciting. That's going to be fun. But watching your hero have coffee, that's not so fun. It's not particularly interesting. It just really isn't. They're having a discussion in the chat room about what kind of euphemisms work best for sex. Oh, my God, Azor, stop bringing up the tea lady. She's not going to die. She's going to live forever. The chat room is so distracting, and I'm terribly sorry for those of you who are on the podcast. You have no fucking idea what's happening in the chat room. It, it's, it's a... It's an interesting place to be if you're in the chat room and you're listening to it live. So, start in the middle. Bring your character full force. Be conscious of how your character is viewed by other characters in the story and how he is being presented to the reader. It's super important. It helps you keep your focus. Don't deviate from your character profile. The biggest problems, biggest problem that happens in character development when you decide mid-story that what you've done in your character profile no longer works for you. Because what you're going to do is create a situation where your own original character is out of character halfway through your book. And that's just bad. That's, that's bad craft. So if you make a fundamental change to your character in chapter 10 of a chapter 20 book, and you you have to go back to the very fucking beginning of your story and integrate this fundamental change into your character scene by scene. And having done this twice, three times, okay, half a dozen times, fuck you, um, it's horrible. Don't do this. It's It's horrible. So what you need to do is establish your character, stick with your character, don't deviate from your character, love your character or hate your character, whatever you have to do to get through your day, keep it simple, keep it true. Don't tell your readers lies about your character. Don't lie to yourself about your character. And that's what I had to talk about on that. So I'm going to go over to my live journal and see what people put on. Okay. <laughs> I have no idea how to say your name. Bastadog? Uh, I don't know. Bog? Bastabog? I have no idea. Anyway, how do you not insert real people, family or friends, into your stories? This is actually a problem for me because I have very interesting, very dynamic people in my family, um, very funny, sarcastic people. I'm surrounded by, like, gold medalist-level sarcastic sons of bitches in my family. I mean, just really, really. I'm actually in some ways a fucking amateur compared. No, that's not true. (laughs) Let's just say I got everything I got honest. <laughs> my, my grandma was terrible. See, there's a oh, he's actually she is in the chat. 
Basti Daz Bog. I, I don't even know. We're going to go with Bog. Bog. Okay. It. What you have to do in order to not insert your family and friends or even your – well, let's back up on that. We'll, we'll, we'll go back to that one. Your family and friends into your stories is to create a full – detailed profile of each one of your characters. Make a decision on your characters and stay true to your character throughout your story. And if you do that, you will refrain from inserting people you know into your story. You might their dial you might phrases might sneak in to your dialogue. Like, for instance, that whole rule about not being a cock block in my Harry Potter stories, uh, that there's no excuse for being a cock block unless somebody's on fire or dead, that is actually the number one sto- rule in my family. No, really. That is the number one rule in my family. There is no excuse. Unless someone is dead or on fire, there is no excuse for being a cock block. I learned that when I was 14. Serious. I was 14. The second rule is never under any circumstances admit you're wrong to Aunt Busybody. But that is an entirely different situation and require a very long story that I don't have time to tell you. So the best way to not insert your family and friends is to create a full, detailed profile of your character that does not include characteristics of your family and friends, and then stay true and honest to your character profile. That's what you got to do. One of the most cathartic and therapeutic things I do is put people I hate in my stories and kill them. Sorry, my husband invaded my space, just come here and stared at me and then walked away. Weirdo. Anyways, it's really awesome. You take somebody you don't like or pissed you off or just, you know, and then you kill them in your story. And it's great. It is fucking fantastic. No, really, it is. It is amazing. It is like a, it's just something you relax once you've done it. And sometimes, you know, it, it, it serves no actual purpose in your story, so you have to pull it out and stick it in another folder. And that's okay. Sometimes you'll create a scene that doesn't actually work for the story that you're working on. So just, you know, Cut and paste it into a new document, save it as a scrap, and then toss it in your scrap folder. You might need it later. It might come in handy. <clears throat> so, you know, what I'm saying is, is if you stay true to your profile, you won't do it by accident. But by all means, kill people you don't like in your stories. It, it's really helpful. Do I treat animals like human characters? It really depends on how much of a role the the animal character is going to have in the story. Like the animals that are in um, what might have been, none of them have a profile except for Quark. Because, hello, (laughs) it's Quark. I, uh, I knew what kind of cat he was. I knew, I even know Quark's backstory. Quark was bought as a Christmas present for somebody, and they had no idea how big the, for a kid, and they had no idea what kind of cat he was, because he was a rescue, and they bring this kitten home, and he turned out to be a Maine Coon, which is a very large cat, 
it's more like a dog than a cat, to be perfectly honest, in size. They're, they're huge cats. And they realized that they didn't, this wasn't the kind of cats that they wanted, so they abandoned him, and McKay found him on the side of the road. And that's Quirk's backstory. And I have the whole thing written down in my series Bible. And I know that's crazy, but that's just the way it is. The only other character, animal character, that has a profile in, Star- in my Stargate stories is probably Dewar. And he's another Maine Coon, and he's in um, my Big Gay Love in Canada story. In my Harry Potter in the Soulmate Bond, all of Harry's snakes have one-page character profiles in my series Bible. Um, like what they look like, their personality, just just stuff like that. You know, like Horace is um, uh, thinks he's going to be the boss of everybody. No, Cyrus in the, the the snake is very uh, sly and sneaky. And Rowena is is pouty and and jealous and you know just characteristics that I knew that they were going to be presented in these snakes. And like the most interesting snake in my Harry Potter and the Soulmate Bond is actually the fates, and that's the rune spore, and there are three heads, and I named them after the individual fates, um, the heads anyway. <clears throat> and they have a, like a two- or three-page uh, profile. I didn't profile Hedwig because she's not original. Um, one thing that I did try to make sure I did do with Hedwig was to make sure she barks because that, that's what snowy owls do. They don't hoot. I made sure to stay true to that um, with, with Hedwig's character. And she's not much in my story. Um, but I kind of wanted her to go on adventures. And you know, anyway, maybe it's because she died in canon. And I, and I was more upset about Hedwig's death in Harry Potter canon than I was any other death. I'm sorry. It, even Fred's death didn't bother me as much as Hedwig's. I was really upset about Hedwig. So when I put her in Harry Potter and the Soulmate Bond a long time ago, before Hedwig died in the series, um, she had a bigger part. And so when I rewrote the, the Soulmate Bond, I thought, you know what? Hedwig needs to, like, explore and, and go look at things and have a life. And so that's what I did. I When I, when I rewrote the story, I sort of gave Hedwig this... Um, personality where she was uh, adventurous and she wanted to look at things and so she goes around and she reads and she you know, just just because but just because J.K. Rowling killed her in the, in the final book and it really upset me you know that, that's the truth um, but she doesn't really have her own profile it was just a little side note on, on the plot um, I remain convinced that Hedwig was killed in canon because J.K. Rowling's a sadist there was no other reason there, there really was not. You can say whatever you want to about loss, and, and no. You know what that was? It was bad craft. What, what I picture is that J.K. Rowling didn't know what to do with Hedwig while Harry and Hermione and Ron spent all those months in a tent. And if she had been captured, she'd have been away to find Harry. So instead of trying to figure out what to do with Hedwig in a way that kept Harry safe plot-wise, she just killed her. Speaking of plots to kill people, there is a story on AO, um, AO3 
um, called Dust Helper. It only has one chapter. I really wish the writer would write more. But basically, Harry's kind of dark, and he starts making a list of people who need to die. <laughs> that is the best part. The best part is actually the summary for this fic. Oh, my God, I have to find it and tell you the summary because it is amazing. And every time I read it, I bust out laughing. <laughs> Here's the summary. It's Death Helper by a writer of fan fiction, and it's on AO3. And um, it's, a, it's a series, and it's called Harry's Revenge, and there's only one chapter of this, and I, I really hope there's more to this series because it cracks me up. Anyway, here's the summary. It says, Harry Potter has had a troubled life since he was one years old. When Death Eaters and Voldemort killed his family and left him an orphan, once he discovers his powers, he uses them on those who hurt him and, and began writing a list of all the people he wanted dead. <laughs> once he got to Hogwarts, he finally began learning enough magic and things start turning his dream into reality. With the help of his best friend and possibly girlfriend, Hermione Granger, he will attempt to rid the world of these assholes forever. <laughs> it's fucking fantastic. I love it. I love it. I, just, the, just the very idea of a first-year Harry Potter making a hit list of assholes who need to die. It makes me laugh. Oh, my God. I love this. I, I wish I would write more. I, I really do. Um, it's kind of cracky, but I love crack. I love it. Um, it's called Death Helper, and it's on AO3. And I will put a link in. I'll put a link to the series on my Twitter so everybody can find it. But, um, yeah, it's just funny. It's just funny stuff, and I like to laugh. And a lot of times I read fic to escape, and and I read stuff that's really funny. That made me laugh, to get rid of these assholes forever. Every time I read it, I bust out laughing. It just, it makes my day. It, it really does. Uh, <clears throat> so there's that. Anyways, so, animal characters and Hedwig, and so that's why I did that. Oleander, you know what I hate about LiveJournal? I can't always match up people in LiveJournal with people on Facebook or people on my site because you guys use different names for all fucking three. Really? All fucking three. Why can't you? You know what? I'm Kira Marcos everywhere. I'm Kira on Facebook. I'm Kira on Twitter. I'm Kira on LiveJournal. I have my own site. It's KiraMarcus.com. I'm really easy to keep track of. Why aren't you bitches easy to keep track of? I'm just saying. Okay. Anyway. Oleander. Why don't like a fucking mystery? If I was actually in the if I was actually in Harry Potter fandom, I would be an unspeakable, and I would be unwrapping all these mysteries. I hate them. Hate mysteries. Oleander, okay. In the chat room, Oleander has been outed. I'm not sure if that's actually a secret or not, so I'm not going to say it. With, although I really wish, Oleander, that you would have used paragraph breaks. Really? I don't even know how many words this is, but there are no paragraph breaks. I'm just, I'm just saying. When you're creating a character, do you ever end up creating a little story about the person in your head or on paper? For instance, say they have an unusual scar or fear. 
do you create stories about why? I Yes, I do, as a matter of fact. Whether it is on paper or mostly in my head, a lot of times when I'm plotting a story and I'm creating a character, I will write most of the book in my head. In fact, that can actually be a real problem. I've actually created... Um, I've written whole books in my head and then got so – and then I was done, and I never put them down on paper. I've probably written 20 or 30 books in my head, original and fan fiction, that, I, that I've written in my head scene by scene that I never actually wrote down because I've already written them and entertained myself, so why bother? And that's the problem which is why I try not to do that too much, because I think that's what I did with this Harry Potter um, War Mages Part 2, is I wrote it in my head, and, I, and then I was done with it, and so, and so that's the problem with that. Um, yeah, you have to be careful. If you are the kind of person who can write in your head and then put it down on paper, that's fine. But if you're someone who writes to entertain yourself, and you write it all in your head, you might not be all that interested in writing it on paper later. Um just, you know, putting that out there for you. <clears throat> Does it reach a point where you know characters so well that you can recite stories of little moments in their lives that have no bearing on any of the works they feature in? Absolutely. That's part of knowing your character. And the more you know your character, the easier it is to insert them in situations and environments for entertainment purposes. So the more you know the person that you're writing about, the, the better. Just don't fall into that trap. And, and this is... I never know if somebody's being serious when they say this, so I'm just going to put this out here for you. Like I said before, if your plot meanders off course... That's your doing. That's your fault. There's not some mysterious little person sitting in your head making decisions without you. You wrote it. You own it. Don't fall into the trap of creating a person in your hand, in your head. And then allowing yourself to believe they're in control of the story. I see that. I see that, and I find that kind of infuriating when someone says it. No. You wrote it. You own it. In every possible way, good and bad, you own it. So your character isn't doing something without your permission. Your character isn't going off on a tangent. Your character isn't stopping to smell the roses while there's a gunfight going on in the next room. If that happens, they're not doing it because they want to. They're doing it because you want to. There's no muse. There really is not. So, no. You need to own it. Own it. Write that shit down. I own my words. Stick it on top of your computer, your computer monitor and look at it every fucking day until you accept that as reality. 
The things you do in your stories are good or bad or no one's fault but your own. I'm serious. Nobody's fault but your own. They're not your muse's fault. They're not your character's fault. Your story isn't doing whatever the hell it wants to. It... It just doesn't, okay? It's not a real person. It doesn't have any kind of free will. And for the record, if that actually were to happen, and that, that would be a real problem. Real problem. <laughs> I definitely want to be an unspeakable if I'm going to be in Harry Potter. Senna wants to be a hit witch. She can totally be a hit witch. She already has the mouth for it. Scary girl. <clears throat> okay, last question on this. Um, do you create a personality first and then worry about physical descriptions later? It all comes into play because a lot of times, especially if you're creating a character that is... is Earlier when I said that sexuality was fundamental education or lack thereof or, or whatever you do that we are some of our experiences we are also some of we are also experienced shaped and changed by our appearance by our race so if my hero is white or if my hero is african american or if my hero is hispanic that is part of who they are so that's something i decided early on so when I'm developing their character and putting them in situations where they grew and grew up in a family and deciding um, where they come from and who they are, uh, part of that is deciding um, their ethnicity, their religion. Um, just all those things come into play. And it's important to get that right because it creates um, a genuine feel to your character. Because if you... If your character feels false to you, it's going to be difficult to write them in a way that's um, positive and and open and and all that jazz. <coughs> I'm sorry. Clear mental images of your of your characters. That's one of the reasons why I, I seriously recommend that you cast an actor or just a person you find on the internet your character, even if you never share it with anybody else, if you have it in your head what they look like, how they move, how they dress, how they speak, who their parents are, it creates in some ways a living, breathing person that you can control. Like a god. That's kind of creepy, but it's true. It's true. When you create a story, and you create your characters, and you create your world, you hold dominion over the whole thing. And you can be a good, merciful god, or you can be J.K. Rowling and kill everybody that everybody loves. Or worse, you can be that guy who writes the Game of Thrones and just kill everybody. Just everybody dies. Um, 
That wasn't a spoiler because I haven't actually read the book, so I don't know if everybody does. I'm just assuming. I mean, a lot of people die in the Game of Thrones. I'm not sure if that's a spoiler or not. <laughs> I'm just assuming that everybody else is going to die too. <laughs> assumption on my part because everybody else did so why not there we go it's um so you create this situation and you create your characters and you move them around and you decide where they go and who they love and how they're going to fall in love and who they hate and who's going to kill them or love them or hate them and when you do that and you do that well you're giving a gift to your reader. And when you're creating this story, create for yourself first. When you talk to your character in your head or on paper, ever, ever how you do it, and you have these conversations and you build this character, build them for yourself who do you like and who do you hate and why do you hate them? And Do you like this trait and do you like that trait? Do you like someone to be brave but thoughtful or brave and kind of reckless about it? You know, and whenever you do that, you answer all these questions about your character and they become real to you. Writing about them is, is super easy. And so there's that. Uh, George R. R. Martin. The first time I ever heard that author's name, I don't actually read Game of Thrones. That's not the kind of thing that, I'm, that I normally read. I'm, I'm a romance writer, and I read suspense. Um, I like to read historicals too, but I don't write them because, as I might have said before, I have difficulties with historicals. And even though I read them a whole bunch, I still don't know what kind of underwear they're wearing, and, it, and I can't write sex if I don't know what the fuck they're wearing under their clothes. I'm, what? I don't. I don't get it. It's not always pantaloons, and I don't think that people in Scotland wore pantaloons in the 1400s. I don't know. That's the problem. I don't know what they wore. I don't know, and it bothers me. It bothers me a lot that I don't know what they wore. Um, I don't know what they wore on the outside either. Uh, did they wear kilts yet? You know, did they wear pants or trousers? Don't know, and so I don't write historical because I have a problem with the clothing. I have a problem with the clothing. I don't know what to call it. It gets really irritating, and just I can't fucking do it. So I don't write historical, but I like to read it. Um, and even then, that whole thing doesn't brush off on me. And I don't learn through osmosis or anything there. Just I don't. I don't. Uh, I like to read suspense, and I don't even know why I'm telling you guys this. This is not on on topic. I just totally went off on a tangent, and that was my fault, and I own it. I'm owning that. I just went off on a little rant about what I read, and I have no idea why. None. Oh, George R.R. Martin. I actually heard about him for the first time when I read an article called George R.R. Martin is Not Your Bitch. And it was an, an article or an essay or a blog about uh, reader entitlement. And 
when you write and you put yourself out there and you put your characters out there and um, you give something of yourself over to the reader, you create a uh, situation where people you don't know read your shit and assume things about you. They assume they know you. They assume they know what you like and what you hate. And I would say there are a large portion of people in fandom who assume that I'm a total freak because I wrote Ties That Bind, all that BDSM and spanking and ties up. and, And I'm not saying I'm not a freak. I'm just saying there are limits. And while I might appreciate a spanking for fun, there is no motherfucker on this planet who's going to punish me. Not a single one. No. Not going to happen. I'll be in jail. I'll need bail money. I'm not the freak everybody might assume I am because of what I wrote. And that's the problem with putting yourself out there and creating characters that you care about. Um, Some people are going to misuse them. Someone asked in the chat room, have I ever encountered fanfic of my professional stuff? And the answer is no. And at one time, I actually looked forward to it. I, I really did. I thought it would be fun. But then somebody wrote fan fiction or about my fanfic. It's not fan fiction. It's um, someone remixed some of my fan fiction, and they took a character that I that I care about a great deal and put him in a situation that made me extremely uncomfortable. And that's their right to do so. That is absolutely their right. I've put it on my website that my original characters can be used. They're up. Do what you want. Um, but it kind of took the shine off wanting my professional work in fandom. And it's because when you invest yourself in an original character and you and you create this life for them, they 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 become very special to you and when you see somebody write something that's so contrary to what you want for them, It's terrible. It's so terrible, and it's so, it's painful. One of the things that bothers, one thing that bothers me in Harry Potter fic is that really dark stuff with the rape. And if I wrote, if I was J.K. Rowling and, and Harry Potter was my character, and I came across something where, an adult character in my 
world was raping Harry Potter as a child, and that happens in the fandom, I would be devastated and horrified. And I... It's terrible. But that happens when you put your work out there and you create characters and other writers pick them out to play with and and you have to deal with what that is. And I think that's why a lot of writers have a very visceral and negative response to to fan fiction and fandom because creating an original character and putting them in an original story is is a uh, very intimate experience. And when you've done this and someone you don't know takes your characters and twists them in ways that are ugly and dark, it's discomforting and upsetting and and I might have cried <laughs> a little bit. I was really upset. <laughs> by what I saw. And it doesn't, the thing is, is it's a double-edged sword because while I was really upset, um, I was also really fired that they were interested enough in my work to do this. So it's, but I was upset about the treatment of, of the character and, and that happens. And um, so I don't, while I would never say anything against somebody putting my professional work into, into, into fan fiction, I, I, I never would in a million years, I don't feel like I wouldn't be one of those people who came out and said, oh, my God, don't you ever do that. Don't don't write fan fiction of my work. That's so horrible. I can't believe you did that. Um, that's very ugly, ugly behavior. Because when someone is so inspired by your work that they want to play in the world you built, that's awesome. That's flattering. Um, just, I won't be reading it because <laughs> I don't want to know. The thing is, is I'd be really upset if J.K. Rowling accidentally read something that I wrote um, and saw how much I bashed Jenny and Ron and Dumbledore and Snape. I murdered Snape in a <laughs> and the unspeakable plot. I'm sure that would really upset her because, you know, obviously she thought he was worth redemption and I made him a murdering rapist (laughs) and killed him, you know. So having done this to somebody else's characters, I have no room to criticize an an author doing it to one of my characters. So it happens. It happens and you have to uh, accept the reality of that when when you're putting your work for the world to see. <clears throat> was it badly written? Absolutely not. It was written very well. It was just, it was extremely upsetting. Extremely upsetting. Um, but it, I took it personally. And what's the thing is, is when you, when you create something original and, and you put all your thought and time and, and heart into it, of course it's going to be personal. It's going to be very personal. So when someone takes a character like Harry Potter and degrades them in a way that is so contrary to what the writer wrote, if the writer comes across that, they have every right to be upset. 
oh, princess, I'm not going to say because it's not fair. It, it really isn't fair because um, permission was granted across the board for this to happen, and the writer had every right to do it. And I don't have a problem personally with the writer. I have a problem with the story, and that's my personal problem. So I'm not going to um, say what it was because it's just not, it's not fair to that person because they didn't do anything wrong. I just had a very visceral and upsetting response to it. Um, <clears throat> but uh, And I also had someone actually do a remix of, of one of my stories that was horrifying and uh, in a very different way, uh, <laughs> which is why I ask people not to do remixes of my stories. I consider that practically plagiarism. Write your own shit. If you want to write something based on my stuff, you go right ahead, but don't remix my shit. I don't like it. You know, have some creativity of your own instead of, I don't know, bashing what I wrote. But no, I don't want to say because it's not fair to them to put this fact that I, that they were, I, that I was upset about what they wrote because that's not their problem, and I don't want them to feel bad about it. So that's why I'm not going to say. I'm sorry. Um, the remix, I don't know if it's out in public or not. I got it in my email. Uh, I was kind of horrified. I never responded. And I'm sorry if you're listening and you wrote that and you sent it to me. I'm, I'm really sorry. I, n- I never responded. But I was kind of horrified, and I felt like if I responded, it would not be nice. And although I tend to be a bitchy girl, I do try, I do make an effort not to abuse somebody for a personal reaction that has no bearing on what they did. Uh, one of the things about me is that I'm terribly stingy. I, I've never had a writing partner except for Lady Holder and that one Sherlock story. And I really haven't written on it much since she killed my tea lady. And that's the problem. <laughs> I know. I know she doesn't want me to bring it up again, but I did. And she's actually on the phone right now. So I'm going to <laughs> I'm going to put her on the air. And uh, But it's just um, there are a couple of authorized stories in ties that bind in the ties that bind universe, and they are actually connected to my stories. Um, anybody who writes in ties that bind that is not listed on my series page, they are not in any way connected to my stories. Um, they've written their own thing. But there are a few. A few. Um, Senna's writing a series, the Tsunami Bomb. Um, there's Time Heals, and there's another one that's in the Spartacus fandom, and the name has slipped my mind. And those are all authorized and attached to the Ties That Bind universe. And um, I baited on all of them, so they're all part of it. And so I'm going over here to the uh, series page so I can find the uh, name of that Spartacus one. If you go to the series page and click on stories and you go all the way down at the bottom, you'll see links for stories by other authors. And there's Tsunami Bomb by Senna, Time Heals by CJ, and CJ is in Rough Trade this, this, this month, and Unbound Hearts by Funky and Fishnet. And that's a Spartacus AU. And they're all three connected to my series. In fact, there are events in Tsunami Bomb that will have some impact on the final, there are, 
the situation in Snowy Bomb is going to actually have some impact on the final chapter of um, the Ties That Bind arc for um, Stargate Atlantis. Um, <clears throat> because one of the Doms featured in that story is also featured in Ties That Bind as a um, secondary character, and he's going to have some play. And one of Senna's characters is going to have some play in the last um, SGA story. Um, she's writing a, uh, a story where Danny, oh my God, I forgot his last name, where Dano is a submissive. What is his last, it, it fell right out of my head. What is his last name? Is so impatient, Lady William? Holder. William, thank you, Williams. <laughs> Williams, Danny Williams is a submissive yes. in Tsunami Bomb, and he's going to make an appearance in the last one of Ties That Bind. Uh, it's going to be mm-hmm. an interesting one because Rodney is going to turn the tails a little bit on. Um, on the doms that are going to put him on trial, and well, they're putting John Rodney's on trial. Gonna make they're also putting Rodney on trial. Rodney's going to so yes, Rodney's going to make them all so damn miserable they're going to want to slit their throats. That's just yeah, it. they'll be really that happy means, when Rodney leaves the planet. That that is for forever sure. Forever and ever um, and ever, Amen. <laughs> what Cinna did that inspired this is that Cinna made Danny a courtesan from Desaad, and his master, who I'm not going to say because it hasn't been revealed yet in the series, is um, pretty high up in the organization, and he's uh, going to be in the final one. And Rodney is going to uh, make them all really regret bringing him back to Earth and putting his dom on trial. They're really going to regret it. And Danny will be there for a little bit of it, and I'm going to bring in Spencer from Criminal Minds. So that way I can connect Spencer to Criminal Minds to SGA, because I'm going to immediately go back into Criminal Minds for my next um, arc, mm-hmm. and it will also connect Cine series more yep. firmly to Ties That Bind, and um, Cine doesn't know it yet, but because I'm going to be using Danny, I'm going to be pushing him into a couple of scenes. Uh, she's going to be doing a beta <laughs> on the last story, oh, or at least the part where oh, Danny is. I well. want her opinion on that. So did you just call? Yeah, I, yeah, I said it, Senna. I said it. Uh-huh. But, Senna, that means you get to read it before everybody else. Yep. That's the good part, right? Yeah, that, I, I'll agree. That is a good part. And, you know, honestly, um, I'm going to say this, and the, the the tea lady is living, so, like, can you stop beating that particular horse? We don't want her to die again. Cause that wasn't me. I didn't bring it up. Fight. Somebody else I brought it up, and I just mentioned it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. You know, part of the thing, yeah, part of the thing with the, the, um, the, the co-writer thing is, laying down the rules of who gets to kill who and who's going to live throughout the whole thing. If I'd known the tea lady was going to, or should have lived, I wouldn't have touched the old bat. All right, I'd have killed somebody else. <laughs> but we made a list of the people that were going to die, and my tea lady wasn't oh. on it. 
But the but problem is, is I wrote down the list and I didn't share the list with anybody else. That's the ah, problem. Because I assumed ah. during the conversation that you were making your own fucking list. How did I know you weren't? Yeah, well. yeah, there you go. There you yeah, go. Well. My, my head's beeping, so if there's a little click there, it's because my headphone fucked up. But I have my other phone on and muted just in case that happens. Okay. We have 15 minutes left. Okay. You know, um, you're, you're, um, the way you write is actually completely opposite from the way I write. Uh, you actually plan far more than I do. I have a very loose idea of what is going to happen down the line. I might have actual um, scene ideas written down in order of how I want them to, to, to show up, but the actual events that have <laughs> – thanks, Barb. The actual events that happen in the middle of it, I don't have. Okay, and I might play, um, you know, spin the scene on its head to to get things um, moving around. So I am, you know, I am. Well, like I said before, and I'm not sure which one this was, but there are two kinds of writers. Basically, there are plotters and there are pantsers. And and you're a pantser, which is why the the, the mm-hmm. tea lady died temporarily. Yeah, well, we fixed she's, that. She, she's our Phil Coulson. She died for a minute. Then she got better. Yeah, she did. Yes. Without having to have a spear in the chest. Or an alien. No. Just a lady holder in her house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fucking up her shit. But no, you know, that's the difference. And and that's one thing that you need to keep in mind if you have a writing partner. If your writing partner is fundamentally different from yourself when it comes to character development and plot development, you need to meet in the middle so you don't end up screaming at each other. Because I never really got mad about the tea lady because I just went behind her and fixed it. <laughs> I didn't get upset. Yes. I just went, delete, 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 and put, no, don't kill my fucking tea lady. And that was the end of it. I know. Because, yeah. because Lady Holder and I hey. have um, the kind of relationship where oh. you can be honest. <laughs> Yeah, we we're, you know we're very honest with each other, and mm-hmm. you have to Except have that when you're when you're riding with somebody. You have to be able to go pee with them. That's what it boils down to. Oh my God. If you can't take yes. your riding partner on the phone with you to the bathroom, do not ride with them. Ah, <laughs> uh, we passed that's that. Just, that's see. just a rule of thumb. You can't go pee yeah. with your riding partner. Ah, uh, yes. <sighs> The, the, the sound of falling waters, anyhow. Um, <laughs> I'm just saying. Horrible, I'm just saying. If you can't go pee with your riding partner, you shouldn't be riding partners. Because if you don't have um, that kind of transparency, you're going to end up resenting each other and being, you know, sarcastic and horrible. <laughs> you know, really, because... I think we just I think we just shocked the room. Anyhow, um... The, the crazy thing for me is, out of all, I mean, out of all the people um, that I have as friends, um, and I've got a number of them, I legitimately call you my best friend because we've told oh, yeah. each other stuff that Aww. I won't tell my parents. Oh, that's so yes. sweet. Yes, I know. That's so fucking you are, but, you know, It is. Yeah, I am an awesome best friend. Mm-hmm. I'm also a terrible best friend. It's a it's a double edged sword. It might be a triple edged sword. Yeah, I don't know how, how that would you? work. 
I am. You're, you're I am. Wheels. I, I am that person that will call you 2 o'clock in the morning. You did, actually. It's 3.30 in the morning. Thanks. You were awake. Shut up. You were I on was. fucking you Facebook. I See, know, that's the you thing. Checked, but you... That's the thing with <laughs> social networking. If I'm bored and it's 3 o'clock in the morning and I have your phone number and I see your ass on Facebook liking shit, it's entirely likely that I'll call you and say, hey, what are you doing? Besides getting on Facebook and liking pictures of Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> well, I'm sorry. It's a picture of Robert Downey Jr. You can't just let that thing pass by without drooling and liking No, no. Come on. Let me tell you what I did today. I went to get groceries, and now we're just not even on topic at all. I'm sorry. Oh, for those Jesus. of you who are listening for the actual topic, Actually, the topic no. is now so, over. Wait a second. In some ways we are, because think about this. We talk about plot. We talk about how somebody's developing. As you're sitting there running around Target, um, basically harassing the stock people and asking for Diet Coke. This is what we do, okay? I'm sitting this in my true. car trying not to curse out the freeway, all right? This is it's true. Okay, so picture yeah. this. Jesus. I am in Kroger, and Lady Holder wasn't available. She was mm-hmm. at work. Mm-hmm. So Did you get I have, I have these, these Bluetooth headsets that have a microphone built into them, and that's how I talk on the phone. But it's also really huh? handle, handy to do voice recordings. So I made some notes from my story on voice recording in the middle of Kroger. Not in the middle of Kroger, all through Kroger, from vegetables to dairy. <laughs> Which are on the opposite okay. ends of the store in my Kroger. So I just went, yes. I talked about everything. I laid this thing out by scene. We're going to have sex here. And, yeah, oh, my God, I just, and I didn't even think about it. I just went on and on and on about my story, right? So I'm in the self-checkout, uh-huh. and I have my little bags. <laughs> I bring my own bags. I do. I bring my own bags. Yes. And I have my bags She's up. Dollar bags. Yeah. And I am... Uh, yeah, I'm trying to have a small car- um, carbon footprint. Yes, you I do. Am. Somewhat. Uh, I got a small foot too, so that's a, so that helps. That's yeah. <laughs> I wear a size six hurts shoe. When you shove it up it was, yes, it hurts less when you shove it up somebody's ass, but okay. Well, it depends on the shoe. Like I can wear a six. It's I can also point. wear an eight. It just depends on the shoe. But yes. Um. You also commented anyway. that you wear wedges. Anyhow. Sometimes I was in the self checkout and I had my little bags and I was tying them up and I was organizing my stuff by frozen, you know, cold and not cold and mm-hmm. I have a system, okay? I actually had it mostly organized mm-hmm. in the cart as I was going through the store. Shut up! I know I have a little bit yeah. OCD. Fuck you all. OCD. So anyway, there's a little girl that runs the self checkout section. She's in charge of all four mm-hmm. little thingies, and so. All the while I'm doing this and I'm putting my card in and I'm starting to scan my stuff, I'm still talking in my mm-hmm. pad, my, my my tablet, about my story. Yep. And then I came to this part where I wasn't sure if I wanted the hero to do this or the hero to do that. And this little girl, yep. I had one headphone in and one headphone out because I like to be able to hear people in case people, you know, Talk to me or, you know, cuss me or whatever. I, I cuss them back. You know, I have opportunities for that. The little girl busts yeah. out and says, 
I think he should do <laughs> She repeated back what I said, and it's on the recording. It's hilarious. She's giving me part <laughs> life. It was adorable. Hey. And so I, I thanked her. And then she asked me if I was, and she said my pen name, and I said, as a matter of fact, I am. How did you know that? And she said that she was a, she, that she's a student at the local university, and she was actually in, um, I did some workshops a couple, uh, two years ago. I did, I, I, I did some workshops, uh, and she was a freshman in, in one of those writing workshops. And, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, she, she remembered me, and uh, she gave me some pot advice while I was doing my groceries. So um, <laughs> it's actually a very good tool. If you have a smartphone, you can download a voice recorder, and it's really cool to kind of keep track mm-hmm. of your stuff. You talk to yourself a little bit. And writing is a very solitary thing anyways. So when you create these writer habits like talking into a voice recorder or writing in a little notebook, the writing workshop was terrible. It was fun. It was fun. But here's the thing. Um, It was kind of wintry. During this during this time, so I was wearing this little sweater, and it was really cute. And because I intended to keep the sweater on, I just threw a t-shirt on. And it was actually a uh-huh. T-shirt a minion bought for me. A minion sent me a gift certificate for a website, one of those nerd websites, and I bought a uh, Shut the Fuck Up University T-shirt. And it was pink. <laughs> <laughs> and since my sweater was buttoned and it was dark pink and my shirt one. was light pink, um, it matched, and no one could see the logo, right, because I had my sweater buttoned. And I didn't worry about it. And then halfway through this lecture, it gets unbearably hot, and I'm not sure if it's because the heater kicked on or if I'm going through early menopause, which I've been going on through, I don't know, for five, ten years. I don't know. Anyway, I had some... Yeah, got no, honey, it's the power surges. It got really fucking it's hot. The power surges. So I unbutton this sweater, and I take it off. And the thing is, is I'm kind of endowed. I have a double D on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I got, a big, I got a big butt, too. Yeah. So, anyway. So, yes, I got these God, that's big tits going on. Okay. And across my tits are the, the, the initials S-T-F-U. Uh-huh. Do yep. you know how hard that it is it. to get 50-something... 18-year-old boys, pay attention to the words coming out of your mouth when you've got STFU written across your tits. Uh-huh. It's really hard, for the record. Yeah. Really hard. Yep. Pun absolutely intended. Anyways. Well, they were having a good time. Those are a lot of fun. They're a lot of fun to do a workshop and um, meet other writers and interact with people who are creative. My best friends in the world, the, the friends that, well, my sweater kind of covered them up before. But after I took the sweater off, there was nothing, there was no barrier. There was, it was just all boob. Mm-hmm. Bam. Bam. Boom. Bada boom. Yeah. <laughs> I just had a total fifth element flashback. Boom, anyway. Yeah. Um, my best friends in the world have always been other writers because no one understands you better than another writer. And here's the thing about non-writers. I don't know what you do with your head. 
I mean that. Uh-huh. I don't know what you do with your brain when you're not talking or doing something that requires you to use your brain. I don't know what you're doing with it. Because when I'm driving or grocery shopping or not talking or not reading or not doing something that requires my full attention, in my head I'm writing. I write in my head. I create characters and I create situations and I put things together. And later on it might go down paper and it might not. But I don't know what the fuck non-writers do with all that time. They're awake when they're not doing something. It drives me crazy. What do you do? You wouldn't know because you're a writer. I don't know. I- but the other side of it, the other side of it is, this is really interesting. One night I'm mm-hmm. sitting on my computer writing, and this is when I was um, sharing space in the man cave. Um, <clears throat> and I'm writing, and I'm just typing away. And I can type a little over. When I'm in a groove, I can type about 187 words a minute. Yeah, when I'm I know. really I can't. into it. I'm really into it. Um, now, I'm just copying uh, words, like on typing test. I can do, um, God, I, I think my best typing speed ever was like 215, 215 words in a minute. Yes. But that's not, that's, that's really unrealistic when you're writing. But um, I average between 150 and 180 words a minute when I'm in a really serious groove when I'm writing. Um Otherwise, it can be like 100. Anyways, whatever. So I'm writing, and I'm in the man cave. And I have my headphones on, and I am blazing. I have written like 15,000 words that day. I mean, I was just in, I was in such a groove. And my husband, Thor, love him, touches my shoulder. And I turn my headphones off, and I pull my headphones down. I'm like, hey, what's up? He said, this is on a Saturday. He says, you've been doing this all day. I'm like, yeah. He said, where the fuck does it come from? Uh-huh. Good question. Don't know. I have no idea where the fuck it comes from, where these words come from. When when you're in a serious writing groove, when you're mm-hmm. deep in it, and, and you know where your story is going and you know where your characters are and where they need to be, and you're writing, it's like, it's practically gonna, a magical experience. It can be almost out of body in a way. It's, um, it's a very unique and amazing experience to, um, to, um, to get as a writer. Uh, <clears throat> but, you know, it happened a lot when I was younger. But the older I get, I think the more, the less fluid my mind is. I don't know. When, when you're very young, your your mind and your thought processes are very elastic. And you can stretch yourself and inspire yourself in ways that when you get older and you get um, into a, I don't want to use the word rut because the word rut's not right. When you get into a position where you're very comfortable with your process, you don't often push outside your process. And so if I would give anybody a piece of advice, stretch yourself, take risks, know your characters, and always, always be true to your own vision, but never in a million years think you're, think you're writing in gold. Because absolutely every single person on this earth needs editing, and bad craft is not author voice. 
And with that, we've got 15 seconds to go. So I'm going to let you bitches go. Uh-huh. Lady Holder, thank you for calling me. Appreciate You're it. You're welcome, Lana Holler, as always. Talk to you later. <laughs> Bye. Shut up and sit down. for summer? Old Navy's huge summer sale starts now. All jeans, all tees, all dresses, and all shorts are on sale up to 50% off. Jeans start at $15 for adults, $10 for kids. Shorts from $12 for adults, $7 for kids. Buy online and pick up in-store for free today. All jeans, tees, dresses, and shorts are on sale up to 50% off. Now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 5-6 to 5-12. Excludes in-store clearance. Active license, men's packaged, and flag tees. 500 vehicles to sell, 500 ways to save. One month only at Build Penny Toyota during Mega Memorial Month. Now through May 31st, that means mega deals on your favorite Toyota models from Alabama's number one volume Toyota dealer. And don't forget, every new vehicle comes with our 10-year unlimited warranty. Plus, enjoy the rest of our awesome Penny perks. Visit BuildPennyToyota.com during Mega Memorial Month. Number one based on 2018 total new Toyota retail sales in Alabama for Southeast Toyota distributors. Warranty valid through 10th year of ownership on new vehicles only. See dealer for details.